Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from the Gospel of John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. My first church job was a megachurch in the suburbs of Memphis. I was very wet behind the ears as a minister when I sat in a music hall and listened to a pastor of a historically black church in the city lead our staff meeting. He told us the story of a very painful time in his life. And his big takeaway to us was that in his darkest hour, he could count on one core truth. God is love. Everyone amened. We applauded him when he finished. I remember being deeply moved by it. And after he left, our pastor got up and said that that was wonderful, but he had to say that his core truth about God was different. When everything is falling apart in his life, he said he clings to one thing. God is sovereign. Now, if it's true that we become like what we worship, then how we imagine God really does matter. For so much of my life, I've pictured God the way that my pastor did, sovereign, in total control, no alarms, no surprises, total power. How do you have a relationship with someone who has all the power? I want you to think of it in human terms. Though rarely does a human have total power in our life or in a relationship, think of your most disproportionate power relationship. How do you feel in it? How do you relate within it? For most of us, when we're so far on the underside of power, we know how vulnerable we are, and our instinct is to protect. We want to defend ourselves in whatever way we can. There's a bit of fear there, and what we do is we quickly try to understand the terms, right? Who are we dealing with? What do they want? And then we try to manipulate the rules set by the power player 
to our own advantage, right? That's simply survival 101. Now, think about this from the perspective of spirituality. Think about it from the perspective of how we view or imagine God. It seems most people, especially in the monotheistic religions, imagine God is all-powerful. And it makes sense. If God created us and everything that we know, then it's safe to assume that God is where the power is. But taking for granted, we immediately want to know what are the terms? What does God want from us? What is God like? How does God relate to me? And it's here that we are so tempted to project. We project onto God how we have experienced power in our lives. Yes, we have the Bible. Yes, of course, we have Jesus within the Christian tradition. But even then, we often read our experiences of unbalanced power dynamics onto those stories and onto Christ's examples. Jesus' own disciples did this constantly, misunderstanding his teaching, misunderstanding his emphasis, and just assuming the way of the empire, the way of the world. I remember being 13 and attending what was called a judgment house. This was essentially a Christian alternative to a haunted house. It was held on Halloween night, and it was a live mini-drama featuring teenagers, just like me, who tragically die. Watching this drama unfold, I was all ears, right? God was all-powerful, I assumed, but what was this God like? When the two teenagers were before God's throne, Jesus asks, why should I let you into my heaven? This is a very unbiblical boss move on his part, I have to say. Then they give their pitch, each of them. The first kid says, basically, I'm a good person. I treat people well. I'm kind. I do the right thing. I love my parents. I'm a good person. Now, this sounded great to me. I was pulling for this guy. But Jesus yelled with a sort of exorcist voice, depart from me. I never knew you. And this completely floored me. He didn't get in. In fact, he was grabbed by nine-year-olds dressed like demons and dragged into a room that we could only assume was hell. And he was everything, he was everything I'd been taught by my parents and society to be. What would the next kid say? Well, the next kid walked up and responded to that same boss question move. Why should I let you into my heaven? The second kid rolled up to the throne with what, in retrospect, was a genuine smugness. Well, he said, when I was 12, I realized I was a sinner worthy of your judgment, but I accepted you as my Lord and Savior. I do not trust in my good works, but trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. The countenance in Jesus's face shifted from angry and stern, and his voice turned from a deep echo to a warm and tender tone. Welcome, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master, he said. It's kind of like the scene in The Godfather 2, when the apartment owner is haggling with Vito Corleone, played by Robert De Niro. Corleone is advocating for a poor widow who's on the brink of eviction. Ask your friends about me, he tells him. The owner agrees, but he's angry. He can't believe the gall of this young Corleone character until he realizes who he is. The following scene of essentially an embarrassed owner trying to smooth things over as, as best as he can, albeit awkwardly, with a benevolent mob boss. It's a hilarious scene. But I wonder 
if that's not how many of us relate to God, a benevolent mob boss, right? He has the power and he will treat you very well if you're on his side, if you're loyal to him. If not, danger zone. And just like that, I knew what God wanted. I listened to those two answers. Those were the words. What does it mean to trust Jesus and not my good works? I had zero idea. But that was the line, and I could offer that line. That was easy. So I went to the little trailer out back after the drama. I was invited by a man to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Gosh, with the intel I had and a massive power imbalance and knowing the stakes were very high, how could I be anything but grateful to have the right answer? I said yes. And in fact, I would like to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, I knew that in my own soul, in my own heart, in that moment, there was a genuine reaching for God. There was a genuine wonder at God in my own life and an even uh, an affection for God up to that point. But that experience imprinted upon me one thing, fear. I responded to that fear the only way humans know how, self-preservation. What are the terms? Let me manipulate them to my advantage to protect myself. The picture Jesus gives here of a relationship with God could not be more different than a threatening God of total power who just wants you to fall in line. Jesus uses a very interesting phrase. He says, no longer, no longer are you to imagine your relationship with me as a servant to a master. No longer are you to relate to me as one who has total power. He's already alluded to a shift in power through that oft misunderstood phrase when he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You see, rabbis of power simply waited to be approached by aspiring students, I'm told. To be approached, to be chosen, that was a sign of power and prestige as a rabbi. It, yet Jesus approaches them, right? Jesus chooses them. They don't know who he is at the time of their invitation, and barely do they know him at the end, by the end of the story. Jesus does begin the relationship with power, and he doesn't begin the relationship with power and prestige the way the rabbis would. He begins humble. He begins invitational. He makes himself open to rejection from moment one. He begins with vulnerability. You didn't choose me. I chose you, he reminds them. And then the big reveal, I call you friends. He's the rabbi, he's the master, and in the grand scope of the story, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and yet he calls them friends. And listen to his reasoning. What's the sign that they are his friends, that they are his equals? He makes known to them everything, he says. Right? Jesus is being clear. The terms have shifted. We think God has total power, and we just need to fall in line, do what we're told, comply, and therefore be rewarded. But there need not be any intimacy in such relationship. Right? There need not, nor can there be, any give and take genuinely. Jesus looks them in the eye and says, I call you friends. I'm not hedging like the powerful. I'm not holding back. I'm only giving or only giving you what I need in order to remain in control. Jesus says, you're my friends. I hold nothing back. I share everything with you. Jesus is shifting our spiritual vision here. 
from relating to God of total power in fear and in self-preservation to relating to a God who calls me friend and relates in total mutuality. How many of us really believe that our relationship with God is mutual? How many of us actually believe that our Creator makes space for us to speak, to ask, to offer, to have intimacy, and to have agency? That vision is beautiful and it's mesmerizing to me. It wasn't brand new, of course. Right? The Hebrew Bible had a long strain of imagining God through the lens of covenant. Covenant was a framework where the less powerful party had rights, where the less powerful player could call God to account, would have a voice. God was seen to give that space in accordance with what Brueggemann, uh, Walt, Walt Brueggemann, one of my favorite Hebrew Bible scholars, calls the credo of five adjectives, merciful, gracious, faithful, forgiving, and forever steadfast in love, all rooted in Exodus 34. So Jesus is simply expanding on this covenant instinct, and he's shifting the terms of spirituality. Can we imagine being a friend of God? Can we imagine having genuine give and take with our Creator? Bishop Ed Gunger tells of uh, a nun who threw her Bible at a wall at one point in prayer because God wasn't treating her like a lady, she thought. Now that's someone who imagines God as a friend. You can't get angry at God if you can't get angry at God. You don't have a friend, you have a tyrant. If you can't ask why to God, you don't have a friend, you have a tyrant. If you can't offer a word or a gesture of love without a, in a sense of freedom, absence of threat, and pure delight, you don't have a friend. You have a tyrant. Perhaps today we can ask ourselves, how do we imagine God at our core? Is God love? And does God come alongside us in mutuality as a friend? Or is God simply total power and only asks us to fall in line and keep our mouths shut if we have a problem? Of course, we probably fall somewhere in between these two visions, but Jesus here gives us a bright star to follow, a metaphor to keep refining how we experience the divine. My prayer for you is that you begin to pray and love and relate to God in genuine mutuality. And perhaps in the relationships where you have the upper hand, you'll begin to look more like God. That, I believe, is great news for the world. May it be true of us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.